Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Lions fans. Jesse Cass here for the LMU Basketball Podcast here in the Believe Podcast Network on LA's number one sports podcast network and the only place for the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? And welcome into the show, everybody. Jesse Cass here with you for the LMU Basketball Podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. Thanks so much for tuning in here on this special crossover episode this week and next. This LMU Basketball Podcast and the other show I host on the platform, the Believe in Clippers Podcast, will have the same guests crossing over for both having ties with the Clippers and the WCC and LMU Basketball. For this week, it's Dan Dickow, first team All-American back at Gonzaga. Became a first-round pick in the NBA, eventually played with the L.A. Clippers. So we talked to him about, of course, his role and really the rise of Gonzaga. He was there really near the start of their run and becoming what they are now. So he has a lot of experience in the WCC. He currently works as an analyst and covering a lot of Gonzaga and WCC basketball games. So he knows a lot about the conference and the Lions. So we talked to him about that. We talked to him about his NBA career and a lot in between. So really exciting episode here where we talk with Dan Dickow. So we're not going to waste any time. Enjoy here on the LMU Basketball Podcast. Dan Dickow, here we go. We're now joined here by our guest Dan Dickow, former NBA pro, first team All-American at, back at Gonzaga, WCC Player of the Year, very well accomplished player and very happy to have him here. So Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's uh, always good to reconnect with Clipper fans, Clipper media. Um, and I won't hold it against you that you're also uh, connected to Loyal Marymount. So uh, <laughs> I'll do my best to uh, not hold that against you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, our, as you mentioned there, our paths have, have crossed before with with you, of course, being a Gonzaga alum and, and working uh, some of the Gonzaga games and a lot of college basketball games within the conference and myself working with LMU. So um, on that start, uh, what has it been like for you to, to see you were kind of at the start of Gonzaga when they really were taking off to become the powerhouse program that they are now to, to kind of be one of the, the leaders to make that happen. Uh, what has that been like for you? You know, there's been a lot of pride um, knowing that I was part of that first wave. I mean, the, the true first wave would have been, um, you know, that the team in, uh, I believe it was 95 that made the first NCAA tournament appearance. They didn't win any games, but it kind of set the tone, I think, for how Coach Few and, and Monson and Billy Greer at the time wanted to recruit in knowing that, hey, you know what? We don't just want to get to the NCAA tournament. We want to win a game or two and see what that feels like. Um, then you fast forward a couple of years with that first Elite Eight run with Matt Santangelo, Richie Fromm, uh, Casey Calvary's tip in uh, against Florida. Um, you know that was that was the group that really got things going. Uh, that was my sophomore year at the University of Washington, and I knew all those guys from playing with them AAU basketball, playing against them in high school, and I just saw that as uh, kind of a, a something that I wanted to be a part of. I knew Richie really well because we we went to school for a couple of years growing up. In, in middle school and we were workout partners in the summers in high school and even in college. And I looked at the 
trajectory and arc of his career individually, but then also what they were doing as a team at Gonzaga. You know, I wanted to be a part of that. And so luckily I was able to transfer and, and things worked out very well after my, you know, red shirt year that you have to sit out when you transfer and became Gonzaga's, you know, first, uh, first team all American and, and take a lot of pride in that. But where the program has gone from those days where myself, my junior, senior year, we just didn't want the thing to go back to, you know, being called a Cinderella. We, you know, we felt that we were beginning to arrive on a national stage. We felt we could compete with the better and biggest and best programs in the country. Um, and so we didn't want to, you know, have that NCAA tournament appearance uh, streak end on us. And then the groups after it kind of took it to the next level. And now, you know, over the last five, six years, it's just been incredible what they've done. All the Sweet 16s, the Elite 8s, the, the national title game appearance. And it's looking like, um, depending on if uh, Kispert, Ayayi, and, and Patricia come back from their kind of flirtation with the NBA draft process, if those guys come back, there's a very legitimate chance that Gonzaga could be the number one ranked team in the preseason next year. Yeah, and as you mentioned, that's kind of been a, a regular occurrence for this team, at least being up in the top 10 and, and toward the top 5 and 1 over the past couple of years. And and you mentioned transferring over from Washington and that first run for Gonzaga when you were there. Um, that happened under Dan Munson, and then, of course, since then, it's been Mark Few becoming one of the best coaches in all of basketball, and you were a part of that for his first couple of years. What's it been like to see Mark Few develop into that coach that's turned this program into what you mentioned, a Cinderella, and now one of the premier programs in the country? Well, I think the biggest thing with Coach Few is he's so competitive, um, and he instills that in all of his guys. Um, he, he never quits. He never takes a day of practice off. He never takes a game off. I mean, he wants to win every um, every game, um, and he believes that he's he's got the group that can do it. Um, I, I think where Coach Few has changed from the time that I was uh, playing for him till now is just um, he's always had a really good feel for the game as far as knowing when to cut, kind of sub guys in and out, when to go with a hot hand, when to kind of really, you know, dig into a guy and kind of, you know, poke him and, and get that burning desire to fire out of certain guys when it's needed. But I think where he's gotten better is his uh, understanding on the offensive end of, of utilizing space and utilizing your weapons. Um, when I was there, uh, we did some pick and roll work, uh, but we ran a lot of flex offense. Um, you know, you had to be able to read screens, come off screens. Um, you had to be able to, um, you know, be able to play motion as well. Cause we did that at times. Now you look at what they do. They have a lot of the European continuity ball screen, um, which has become so very popular. So they mix that in with, with some isolations for their, for their key guys and, the one thing that they have never left um, all these years, they continue to be uh, have this be a huge focus is their high-low game, which is kind of a lost art, uh, all levels of basketball. Uh, Gonzaga does that as well as anybody in the country, uh, and they have for the last 20-some years. Yeah, and of course you mentioned the connection uh, that we have, uh, you know, myself working with, with Loyola Marymount, who it's noted and well known they haven't made the NCAA tournament since the Hank Gathers Bo Kimball years in, in 1990. They've had some ups and downs. They were pretty down when you were at Gonzaga. They've obviously been, uh, you know, up and down as we mentioned since then. They just hired a new coach, head coach, in Stan Johnson. Uh, what do you think he needs to do to get this program back at a higher level in what is now a, a really competitive 
West Coast Conference with, of course, Gonzaga and a lot of other good teams surrounding them? Yeah, you know, I think Coach Dunlap, first off, I thought he did a really nice job uh, can, over the last couple of years. They kind of got into that middle tier after being kind of bottom of the WCC for quite some time. And then last year, they just they, they had some injuries. Um, or actually, the last two years, they, they had injuries. Yeah. Um, and then they had some, some guys kind of take a step away at a, at a time that didn't really help. Um, you know, but the one thing about his teams is they always competed. They were, they were always prepared. They played really hard. Um, and they gave Gonzaga some good games over the years. They gave some other teams some really some fits over the years. Um, but I understand and know in this day and age of, of college sports, is if, if you're not winning uh, up to the expectations of the athletic department or, or the university, you know, you, you're going to have a short stay. Um, so I, obviously they felt they needed to make a change. Um, you know, Stan Johnson, I don't know a, a ton about him yet. I'm sure I will learn uh, quite a bit leading into next season with uh, prep for the college basketball broadcasting year. But I mean, he's got a pretty good resume. Uh, he was with uh, Wojcikowski in, in, in Marquette. It looks like he's he's made uh, a splash in the Southern California area by reaching out to, you know, the right AAU guys, the right high school coaches, and and he's made some quite a few offers to, to a lot of the kids in the area. You know, I've always felt that Loyola Marymount could potentially be a sleeping giant just because you're in – such a basketball hotbed, the LA area. If you've got a great eye for evaluating talent, um, maybe you can swoop in and, and, and find an undervalued guy that USC or, or San Diego State or UCLA um, missed on with their evaluation and their recruiting. Um, you know, the one thing that will honestly hold Loyola Marymount back a little bit more is the facilities. I mean, I don't think those uh, that gym hasn't been. Uh, changed or remodeled in, in quite some time, um, you know, just some cosmetic things here and there. Um, but I understand to do those things that you want to do, you've got to probably start off with some success and, and get a little buzz around your program uh, and get some boosters and, and some alumni ready to, to to jump in and be a part of getting it to the next level. Um, you know, I think when you look at the WCC, Gonzaga's far and away above everybody with with what i just described i think byu um is similar but it's different because you know they're a much bigger school um they've got football and they've got some other things that most schools in the wcc don't have you know and then st mary's uh they've done as best they can with their facility issues of size and, and campus size um so maybe that could be a blueprint for loyal marymount and how to you know build upon success if and when it comes. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, we mentioned at the top of the show or just at the intro that, of course, you had a, a long NBA career. You know, part of that, one of those seasons was with the L.A. Clippers. And uh, talking about things that have changed over time, obviously, the Clippers going from one of the worst franchises in basketball to now a contender and where they sit right now. You were there in the, the 07-08 season where they had come off a couple of years of, of good success and had some good talent, but really dealt with a, a very injury-plagued season. But what do you remember from, from your short time with the Clippers and, and kind of just seeing from what they were then to what they've become now? You know, I enjoyed my time with the Clippers. Um, you know, I loved living in L.A. Um, I loved, uh, you know, I, I thought our team was very talented and skilled. We just had a number of injuries, and, and we also just 
had some games we just couldn't get it done. Um, you know, El, that was the year Elton Brand tore his Achilles in the summer before, and and so I don't think he came back until maybe the last ten games or so. And by that point, we were, you know, just outside the playoff race. Uh, Catino Mobley was a veteran. Sam Cassell, Tim Thomas, Chris Kamen was uh, a dominant center at times. Um, but again, we could just never fully put things together um, and, and be able to get to the playoffs. You know, there was looking back at it, though, um, you know, that was a that was an interesting time because, you know, Mike Dunleavy was still the coach. Uh, Elgin Baylor was the general manager. Uh, Neil Olshay was was involved in, in some personnel decisions. Um, but you're right. They weren't the Clippers of what the Clippers are now. Um, and I think a lot of that credit has to go to Doc Rivers. I played for Doc in Boston uh two years before I was with the Clippers and uh, just a great leader, Um, a very, very good coach, but a tremendous leader, a guy that uh, communicates well and and gets people to buy into to to what the vision of the team needs to be at that particular moment. Uh, I mean, it's uh, there's no, there's no wonder why, you know, the Clippers aren't now one of the premier destinations for players. You know, you couple doc with the fact that, you got such a great owner in Steve Ballmer who, who's willing to leave no stone unturned. Uh, it makes sense that the Clippers are one of the best organizations now. While you're waiting this out at home, you can still have some fun betting with our partner, betonline.ag. No NBA, NHL, or MLB, but don't worry. BetOnline still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. NASCAR is back. Madden and NBA 2K simulations with a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge. UFC online casino with Pucker and Blackjack. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper joining to discuss the Michael Jordan doc on what they are calling the final dance. They're still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Yeah, and I saw that, of course, the Clippers uh, have a documentary coming out, Blackball, talking about the Donald Sterling era and really the, the blow-up that happened in, in the playoffs against the Warriors. Uh, J.J. Redick, you know, it's a well-known story now, but it's coming back out and recirculating that when he initially was traded to the Clippers, uh, it was almost nixed because Donald Sterling didn't want J.J. Redick in a, in a white player on his roster. Uh, I know you commented under his tweet that you had a similar experience. What was your experience like with, with Donald Sterling? And we know there's so many stories from so many players about just awkward exchanges, but, uh, but your experience with, with Donald Sterling in that way. Well, I mean, mine, mine is nowhere near, um, you know, what JJ's was, um, you know, obviously Donald Sterling would go to the majority of the games and, and he'd sit there. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the, big interactions I ever remember was after a really good game that I had in the loading dock about to get in the car with my family. Um, I believe, uh, they, they actually gave my, my daughter at the time was a little, who was really small. They gave her a present. Um, cause I can't remember what the circumstances were. It might've been around the Christmas time. I'm not quite sure, but the present was given to my daughter and we were kind of small chat for a little bit and basically said, <laughs> you're doing a great job. I can't wait to have you on uh, back on the Clippers next year and kind of for the 
basically making me feel like I was going to be a part of the team. And I know that's, you know, said a lot, but, you know, come to find out later that summer, um, in talking to my agent during, you know, the, the free agent process of trying to figure out what my opportunities were going to be. And this was right before I ended up deciding to go, uh, try my hand in Europe because I, I had a good opportunity over there. You know, there was, uh, there was, there was just some things that were said in between conversations, between my agent and their and, and and that group that were relayed back to me that just made me shake my head. I mean, um, so I, I I'm not surprised that, about that JJ Reddick story at all. <laughs> yeah, we know. I'm sure multiple players have similar stories from that era. But as we mentioned, things are obviously different now. This current Clippers team, as we know, very talented up near the top of the standings. And you know, if basketball is able to continue, they think they have a real shot at the title. Um, you know, there's been talk about having the NBA finish the season in a, a bubble-type scenario. Do you think, first off, that's possible? And, and what would you would you be entertained by that scene, a game with, with no fans in a bubble and seeing that product compared to what we're used to? Well, I mean, I, I would love to see the NBA finish their season in some way. Um, and, and then that would impact the calendar for future NBA seasons, which has been discussed. I think it would be tremendous to start the season later um, so they don't compete with the NFL and college football when they get started. Um, you know, but the, the, the bottom line, though, is the country and everything going on right now, we've, we've got to get through this kind of stage of figuring out how to be healthy, how to keep others healthy, how to make the economy get back going. There, there's so many things that um, have to, to happen first. Um, now, in looking at professional sports and sports in general, that's a huge part of, of every a lot of people's daily lives. They get joy from it. They're entertained. Um, athletes, obviously, that that's a, a source of income for, for a professional uh professional sports drive a big part of of a lot of cities economies um so i think that would help but again i think so much of it comes down to um what's how to keep everybody safe um and do they bring the fans back which i would imagine they wouldn't uh right off the bat um how do they keep the players and the families and, and everybody do you keep them all in the same uh, pocket in in the city like in LA or Vegas or Orlando, like I know has been discussed. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I, I just want to see our country get through this. I want to see as many people stay healthy as possible, um, and then we can kind of continue to move forward into the professional sports. But that being said, I definitely miss basketball, and I hope there's a way they, that the smarter people than I can get this figured out. <laughs> yeah, we can. We can only hope so, and. And obviously, there's still quite some time before the college basketball season as well. But uh, So we can only hope that things are a little bit calmer and, and more figured out for the college season, knowing that you know so much traveling takes place for, for these kids and playing those games, that that'll obviously be something to, to be discussed and figured out when that time rolls around as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's the one that you know they're, everyone's talking about, hey, what about college football? 
Um, <laughs> me personally, I'm not a huge college, college football fan, <laughs> so it doesn't really impact me. I want to know what the thoughts are with college basketball. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I love the game of college basketball. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be able to to be a part of it by being a, a basketball analyst for a number of te- television networks. Um, so let's fast forward the football stuff and let's get the, the basketball season figured out when it's appropriate. Yeah, no question about it. And and on the on the pro game, we mentioned that you, of course, were a first round pick. We mentioned your time with the Clippers uh, in the 0405 season. You got a chance to to really get extended time as a starter and averaged over 13 points and five assists. And we know that for so many players, uh, it, it always comes down to circumstance, whether it's injuries or getting the right opportunity. Uh, how did you feel like your time in the league was? I know you dealt with injuries as well, but getting the opportunity to, to play and really showcase your skills and, and show that you really uh, belonged as a, as a pro out there. Yeah, I think the big thing for, for any young player, unless you're like a true transcendent guy who is just going to start in from day one, uh, step in at, on day one and, and be a, a starter on a team or, or an all-star level. And I'm talking guys like LeBron and John Morant and Zion most recently. You know, those guys are pegged. Hey, look, the organization's being built around you. Everyone else, um, you have to lo- get be lucky enough um, to be put in an opportunity where either you can learn right off the bat and improve by your experiences or you need to have a, a, a solid organization with some veterans that can kind of really lead and guide and teach you uh, and help you prepare for when your opportunity and time uh, comes to get some minutes. Now, you know, for me, I struggled with some injuries right off the bat my rookie year. Coach got fired um, while I was out rehabbing a knee injury. Um, new coach comes in with a different philosophy, and, and my skill set doesn't fit that philosophy. So I kind of floundered my first year and a half before getting traded to Portland. Uh, that was all great and, and awesome because that's where I grew up in that area and I was home. But, you know, and again, I didn't have a big opportunity to really kind of cement myself in, in the rotation or when those opportunities did come because they were so far and few in between. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make the most of it. So I kind of went into year three of the year you mentioned uh, really up in the air, like, hey, this is kind of a make-or-break year for me. Um, I, I know I'm not going to have my option picked up because at the time, the first-round pick was a three-year guarantee with a fourth-year option by the team. And I knew I wasn't going to get it picked up because, uh, again, after that second summer, Portland traded me to Golden State, and then Golden State traded me to Dallas. And then Dallas had a press conference releasing, uh, introducing all their new players. Well, lo and behold... I wasn't in, <laughs> involved or invited to that press conference because they had they had no plans for me. They had no use. Um, I went to training camp, obviously with a guaranteed contract because it was my third year, but really with uh, an outside perspective trying to make the team. I think there was 17 guaranteed contracts going for 15 spots, and so I had a tremendous um, I had a tremendous training camp. Things shook out, and I ended up sticking with Dallas. Um, but they were a veteran ball club that ended up winning 50-some games that year. Um, so I was third third season in the league, still scratching claw and trying to find my way. Jason Terry's a starting point guard. Uh, Devin uh, Harris, they had just drafted, I think, with the sixth pick, and so he was being groomed as their, their point guard of the future. Um, so I really didn't get a chance to play in Dallas um, as, as well as I played in training camp 
preseason and, and in practices. I think I only played in four games the first month and a half of the season. Yeah. And then I got traded to New Orleans. But all that preparation that I had kind of put forth allowed me. So when I got to New Orleans, I kind of knew it was make or break. Um, I had to make the most of this if, if I was going to extend my career. And so when I got to New Orleans and I finally got my chance, um, I, I, I went uh, all out. I was aggressive. I didn't pass up shots. I played with a confidence, a swagger that, um, you know, made me show to other people that I felt that I belonged on that court. And, and in doing that, uh, I played with a lot of success and I was able to uh, have a nice, nice, uh, you know, 55 games or whatever it was with, with New Orleans um, start the majority of this, the, the season once I got there uh, and then extend my career. Yeah. And you mentioned it a little bit there of getting traded a couple of times and uh, you were traded eight different times in your career, including twice on the same draft night in 2006. Uh, and of course, on your own draft night, uh, you were traded from the Kings to the Hawks. So uh, just on terms of the business side of things, what was that like as being the actual player getting traded from, from team to team? And we hear it so often about it being a business, but you experienced it on your end of, of being in that process and dealing with trades. Well, I mean, again, you know, I kind of mentioned the when you're young in your career, even as a rookie, you know if you're one of the core guys on the team. Um, uh, if you're not, really a lot of it comes down to does your number with your salary fit within the goals and, and the, the long-term vision of, of how that uh, franchise wants to, to fit into the salary cap? Do they want to go over the luxury tax? Um, it, are they eyeing a trade for somebody? And if so, does your number help the trade match up salary-wise? And that's, you know, on, honestly, that's a lot of why I was in some of these trades. Um, some of it was because I didn't fit the personnel that, that the front office wanted to put on the floor and, and maybe the coach's uh, style of how they wanted to play. And that's fine because that's, you know, that's, uh, it is what it is. But, you know, that's kind of the piece that a lot of people don't understand is you could be unbelievably good and not get a chance and get traded because your number fits. So you could be very good on the team, um, but they have to make the numbers in a trade work. Um, and that the organization doesn't necessarily want to trade you, but they have to to make a trade work. Um, you know, so that's kind of the basketball piece. On the on the business side, yeah, you learn right away. Um, you're, you're just a number, uh, unless you're one of those key cogs in the franchise, which is, is very few and far in between. Um, you know, my wife became very good at um, packing and unpacking, <laughs> <laughs> understanding, okay, well, we're in a new city. This is how we get around. This is what we do. Um but, you know, at the end of the day, I was blessed to play in the NBA for, for six years and a, and a little bit of uh, overseas time. And, um, you know, there, there were some negatives to it, like you mentioned, the trades and the moving. But at the end of the day, you got, I got to compete and I got to realize a goal and dream to play in the, against the best players in the world and compete against the best players in the world. Um, and that's something that, that to this day I'm very grateful for. Yeah, no question. And. Uh, we know that really the only sports-related thing going on right now or that had went on was the, the Last Dance documentary. I saw you were tweeting about it, excited about it, uh, along with pretty much all basketball fans out there. That, of course, just came to an end this past weekend. Um, outside of the, the obvious of just the greatness of Michael Jordan, what did you take from, from that documentary and just 
watching that unfold over the past couple of weeks? I mean, it was it was phenomenal. It brought back so many memories for me um, when I was a kid watching these different games, these playoff series. Um, you know, but I think the biggest thing that I took away from it is just how competitive he was. Uh, he didn't want to lose at anything. Uh, he he <laughs> had an ultimate focus to win and do whatever it took to win. Um, and it just blew me away. I mean, because I've, I've heard the stories, I've read the books, I've, I've watched all these games. Um, but then when you get to, to, to relive it and hear it again, uh, I think the competitiveness of him just uh, struck me even more. Yeah, no question about it. And it said getting to relive that, uh, very exciting stuff. And uh, Dan, we really appreciate you taking the time and being so gracious with your time here today. Hope that you're staying safe through this with your family and uh, hopefully be able to catch up, uh, you know, get a normal-ish college basketball season, be able to catch up in a couple of months. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, best of luck to uh, the Clippers and, and the Lions, except when the Lions play Gonzaga. So thanks <laughs> a lot for having me. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. Thanks again. It's 2021. There are self-driving cars, plant burgers, and tourists in space. The least your phone could do is download entertainment in a flash. For that, you should get AT&T 5G. AT&T 5G is fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. Want to make sure your phone service keeps up with what you need from it? Get AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan and device. 5G may not be available in your area. See AT&T.com slash 5G for you for details. So that's going to do it for this week's show of the LMU Basketball Podcast. Again, a big thanks to Dan Dickow and a big thanks to you for tuning in and listening in here on the LMU Basketball Podcast. Also, a special thanks to new head coach Stan Johnson for the birthday shout-out for myself this past week, uh, having turned 32 So continue to climb up that age ladder here in the, the pandemic. A pretty low-key birthday, but big appreciation for the shout-out from those in Lion Nation. So appreciate that. And as you said, appreciate you listening. If you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple. We're also available wherever else podcasts are found, including Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. You can find this show as well as the Believe in Clippers podcast, which has the same conversation with Dan Dickow, plus some Clippers insight uh, on Believe.com, where you can find that and hundreds of other shows on the platform. So with all of that said, thanks again for tuning in to this week's edition of the LB Basketball Podcast. We'll be back again next week with another special guest. But until then, this is the LMU Basketball Podcast, only on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network and the only place with the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? Go Lions. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.